Theorizing that Quantum Leap would hold up after 30 years, two friends set out to watch every episode and vanished. Oh boy. Featuring Kristen and Leet. Yeah! Hi, welcome to another episode of Oh, oh Boy, it's, it's Kristen, Kristen and Leet. And only Kristen and Leet this week. No Jimmy. <laughs> no Jimmy, no Sam, no Al, no Ziggy. It's just us. Kristen, what do we do on this podcast? Normally, we discuss an episode of Quantum Leap that we watched, and uh, yeah, but we didn't do that this week. Kristen, why are we such fuck-ups and we are irresponsible podcasters? Train. It oh, went, it's, it's gone. gone. Oh, shucks. Um, we're being, I mean, irresponsible, but maybe not so irresponsible. We're being responsible for our own self-care. Yeah. Um, this episode... Uh, is, is a fucking bummer. It's a fucking bummer. Um, I mean, I haven't seen it before. I read a synopsis and was not... I, I read half of a synopsis and was not interested in the themes uh, that were... Well, not the themes themselves that were being explored, but uh, I don't want to see how this TV show d- does it. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Um, Am I saying it right? We were talking just a little bit before we turned the microphones on about representation and how it, it is in kind of inherently shitty that whenever this show wants to have um, a protagonist yeah. from an underrepresented community, whether it be people of color or, um, um, in this case, people with disabilities or uh, uh, women, or I don't necessarily think they tackle um, gender or sexuality issues, but no matter what they choose to do, it's always going to be fucking Sam Beckett. Privileged white guy. He's fucking Bacula. Yeah, and we love him. He's great. It's nothing against him or even the character of Sam Beckett who means well. It's just the fact that we... We only are uh, paying lip service, kind of, to the actual people. Like, um, uh, like in let's just use as an example the color of truth. We only see the actor who played, um, what's Jesse his Tyler. name? Who played Jesse Tyler? Like once or twice, he doesn't get any lines. Doesn't speak. <laughs> we don't actually get to see um, the marginalized groups who are who are dealing with the issues they're they're being faced with actually deal with them you know we're only seeing it through the white male white straight male cis gaze and uh it's exhausting and also this one also is just a fucking bummer even irrespective of that yeah yeah that's uh that's definitely true so we're gonna not talk about it um but this is um this is how i propose to fix the television show of quantum leap don't have Bacula. Every single week it's a different actor. And they just are like, Al, what's going on? And they are Sam Beckett trying yeah. to figure out their life. 
especially given that Al sees not Sam, but the person. Yeah. We like we didn't know this until recently. And that's ridiculous to me then that Sam, Scott Bakula being Sam is only for our benefit. Yeah. Really. And not even for our benefit anymore. Like like the, the one where he leaps into a woman. I, as a woman, would have rather seen a, have seen a woman go through what he had to go through. And, and what an interesting role for a woman to play, to get to be like, you know, or... A man trying to inhabit a woman's body. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you, you know, this episode took away uh, what could have been a very compelling role from someone who does have Down syndrome. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, and, uh, yeah, as, re- representation matters. And I know that this show was produced in a in a time when it uh that wasn't really talked about so yeah so uh, uh Kristen, what's going on with you man i'm feeling kind of foggy today kind of like toronto yeah toronto it's, it's we're recording this on may 1st and it feels like second second may 2nd and it feels like Fucking February. Second. Thank you. It's like on his phone right in front of him. His phone's on while he records this. I don't know what that's about. It's not on. It's just my lock screen happens to have a clock on it. And the date. You know, I always love... (laughs) What's wrong, Lee? You're always making fun of me. (laughs) Sorry. It's just you keep saying stupid things. (laughs) Like, what am I supposed to do? Um... You know what would have been fun? What? Um, if uh, we planned this and we uh, had nothing else to do today and um, just drank a lot and then like had a sing-along. <laughs> That's cute. I don't drink. Oh, so sorry. We could just I, do you. Just, just look look at each other. Do, do you want a drink? Oh, I always want a drink. No, I'm sorry. Should you? I guess is it... Um, if this is personal or verboten, you don't have to answer. No. Is it, uh, what, do you oh. not drink for um, a particular reason that you're for into sharing? For many reasons. Um, the, the short answer is I just never got in the habit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the longer version is basically, well, I, I, <laughs> I have some issues around self-control. Um, in some areas of my life, I cling um, um, ferociously to too much self-control and in others I lack self-control altogether yeah. um, basically in high school and university when people were starting to like experiment with alcohol I was way too uptight to get into it and now I'm an old man and it's just like it's I'm too old to be like experimenting with alcohol like a teenager so I just I don't bother that's good I mean if nothing else it's cheap yeah, liquor is expensive, man. Especially yeah. good stuff. It sure is, and and I I joke, but I don't actually drink that much. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> this has been our yeah. alcohol minute with Leet and Kristen. Yeah, um, I do like uh, like tasting stuff. Like I've gone to like whiskey tastings and and uh, I like wine pairings with food and stuff like that. Because hmm. I, I do like I I am. Not a foodie, but I do I do like the experience of 
putting together flavor profiles and shit like that. Cool. Um, so yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I, I've, I've had my share of alcohol just in one or two sips at a time. Um, in New York, I had this cocktail that had, um, among other things, burnt rosemary. Okay. And it was so wonderful. Mm-hmm. But also, um, the benefit of that is that, you know, there's no ghosts in there. Is that how you get rid of ghosts? It's like a smudge. They burn <laughs> rosemary. Uh, sage, but... Oh, um, same thing. I mean, come see, come saw. <laughs> there are different smudges. D- different different uh, strokes for different ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got one of those rosemary ghosts up in here. Oh, this, uh, we got to break out the cardamom for this one. Uh, let's see. We were talking about my YouTube habits. Oh, yeah. You and your obsession with Disney World. Yeah. Just specifically <laughs> Disney World or Disneyland? Anything. Euro Disney? Oh, I would love to go to Euro Disney, but the the one that I really want to go to. You look like you're already regretting bringing this up. <laughs> the one that I really I'm want sorry, to go to. I'm sorry, you brought it up. I know. Is <laughs> Shanghai. Oh. Uh, Disneyland Shanghai looks magnificent. I saw a video of their Pirates of the Caribbean, uh-huh. and it, like blew my mind i was like what the fuck are we all doing over like not i mean by we over here i mean orlando which is not close to here at all but like that's that's my disney world my disney is orlando uh, i would love to go to california i would love to go to euro disney but shanghai what is what like makes their pirates of the caribbean so much better giant uh like, I don't know what exactly you would call them. If it's like high definition LED screens or mm. something, LCD, what do you call it? Like, whatever. Huge room-sized screens that look incredibly realistic. So you can I go... I think they call that a movie. You can just go see Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean. It's like a wall where a film is being played. No, like all around you, you go under the damn ocean. It, it's like, it starts out like every other Pirates of the Caribbean Yo, in a ho, boat. yo, ho, yeah, yeah, don't sing too much, because Disney will, Disney will get I'm us. I'm pretty sure they have already sued me. <laughs> really? Just from just from those five syllables. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they own Yoho. Yeah. Um, but like, it starts out normal. You're just in a boat. You see some things. You see some animatronics. I mean, they're excellent animatronics. But you're like, okay. But then all of a sudden, the the like sky gives way and you're plunged under the water and there's a kraken you don't know this about me but i love krakens they're like i probably could have guessed <laughs> how because i know you how love you um like all your spooky monsters i do love my spookies <laughs> i think it all started with um when i was a kid i loved arcades um something that i don't think children anymore will will relate to mm. i think our our um generation probably yeah i mean there's are... the one where the arcades died now... i remember being the only kid in arcades sometimes <laughs> <laughs> but i went anyway yeah i'm trying to think because like now i mean there's like just just like your fucking bedroom can be an arcade your phone is an arcade and, yeah and not to mention if you want to do like just the whole going out to a place thing then there's like esports bars and shit like that and to a lesser extent there's you know those ping pong or foosball 
houses or whatever. <laughs> you make it sound like an opium den. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Like ping pong houses. Those ping pong houses of iniquity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm talking like palladiums and. Yeah, no, I remember. We, yeah, I, I was oh, never really into them. And they're still like. You know, movie theaters will still have, like, little mm-hmm. small arcades. Yeah, every now and then I go in and get kind of excited. But there was this one in uh, Florida that I would go to um, that was huge. It was like a Palladium kind of place. And they had this one underwater game. And if you know what it is, please tell me because I would love to play it again. Um, and uh, he'd announce whatever creature was this voice would... You, you'd face off against, like, mythical ocean creatures. And there would be, like... like basilisk or um what are some other ones like i don't know like white whale um what with megalodon and like this Dolphin. voice would come over but then at the very end he would go kraken and it was so scary and like that's every... where it comes from because when you called it a kraken earlier i, was I like, have to it, say kraken. kraken i hate when people i hate kraken but isn't that Correct. But I gotta say Kraken. Anyway, point is, uh, Shanghai Disneyland did the Kraken very well, and uh, that's my favorite part of that Pirates of the Caribbean 2 movie. I love Krakens on screen, except for Clash of the Titans, because it's not really a Kraken. It's like a Godzilla. What were your go-to TV shows when you were a kid? Let's, since we're, this is a TV podcast, let's talk. That's a good point. What did, we, what did you do? Oh, man. I mean, I was a big fan of tv um mm-hmm. i had a tv in my bedroom from like when i was a tiny tiny child mm-hmm. so i yeah like i always had media on in some shape or form do you um, sleep to the tv now if if i'm alone yes huh so like right now yeah my partner is out of town for a while so like <laughs> don't come kill me <laughs> oh my god i'm like so scared putting that and christian's out. address is no <laughs> Um, so right now I will, but like if someone else is, is in the room with me, then sure. Like I, I can go without it. It's, it's a matter of not liking to be alone. Mm-hmm. I have a fear of solitude. Do you have a TV in your bedroom? Uh, no, I just use my laptop. Ah. Yeah. Um, let's see. When I was a kid, um, Xena. Mm-hmm. I've talked to Lita about doing a Xena, one of these rewatches. Mm-hmm. Um, Gargoyles. Yep, I remember that. Oh, that show's sweet. I did a rewatch of that a few years ago, and it's so good. Like, I believe it. Yeah, I remember so that being solid. a really solid show. It has a great cast too. Yeah, it was. Who was it? Stacked. Um, who's the main guy? Kevin. Kevin. Keith. Keith David, is the main guy. He was. He does a ton of voiceover. Yeah. Um, love him. Uh, he was in. Cloud Atlas, among other things that are more popular than Cloud Atlas. I loved Cloud Atlas, but a lot of people didn't. Where's this cast? Where's that cast? Um, it also had Marina Sirtis. Right. Oh, yeah, and... that's what it had a lot of Star Trek people. Yeah, it had and Jonathan, Jonathan Frakes. Um, let's see. Ed Asner. And then, like, when I was older, by older, I mean, like, you know, between 8 and 12-ish, like, and uh, I convincingly argued my mother into letting me like watch tv while i did homework and everything um i had like my evening lineup which would have like a simpsons rerun ripley's believe it or not whose line is it anyway mm-hmm. another simpsons rerun 
And uh, in the morning, my before school lineup was like rerun of Kids in the Hall, uh, Saved by the Bell. Like, yeah, I had a few different, few different ones. But yeah, those those were big ones. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, a wide range of stuff. Yeah. I like consuming. Mm-hmm. What about you? We were a big Star Trek family. Yes. Um, I remember there was a time, like it was always a Saturday night, I think they would have um, a rerun of, I mean, obviously, of the original series and then the new Next Generation. And then once they added, um, what was the third one? Uh, Deep Space Nine, then that they would became that, and uh, then that's what I can really remember from my when I was very young. And then at a certain point, I'm the youngest, and so I think my, my parents were really good at not watching things that they kind of thought weren't going to be good for kids. So when I was like when I was in elementary school, I was the only person I knew who didn't watch The Simpsons. Mm. and we weren't allowed to and then just one random afternoon my dad was like man you're old enough and he flipped on the simpsons and then everything it was simpsons south park family guy everything i remember it being sort of a mild discussion like i remember the time when my my mom kind of was like i don't know if you should watch the simpsons Mm -hmm. and i'm like but i was watching it because i had a tv in my room that i had (laughs) 24-hour access to so i was like well it's not that bad and like i think i showed it to her and she's like oh it's yeah it's not that bad i was like (laughs) i think i was the one who was like seven or eight and was like it's south park you gotta watch out for yeah like i'm like simpsons is fine you're thinking of south park and she's like oh okay don't watch south park and i was like i don't even want to (laughs) (laughs) jokes on you i hate (laughs) south park I, it took a lot of warming up. Well, as a kid, I was just like, this is scary. Like, I think it was just too intense for me. I was like, I don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. And it's throwing me off. Yeah. Kind of like... And like, because like, cause the animation is what it is, like, they don't do slapstick or anything like really silly. Yeah, it's... it's. I, I appreciated South Park more when I was older mm-hmm. and understood like intellectually what they were doing because they are quite smart but uh yeah. simpsons it's like when i well some of some of them are i mean their yeah. their politics are questionable but they're yeah. they're engaging with stuff that if you don't know what it is and you're a seven-year-old child you're just like why why are they in a butt like <laughs> i don't know um whereas simpsons kind of for whatever reason translated well i yeah. think um Although I do remember some questionable things. Like I, I distinctly remember Cleopatra 2525. Um, I don't remember this at all. It was like this sexy time traveling space lady or yeah. something. And, and the the theme song at the beginning was like a rock version of like in the year 2525. Yeah. It was like really cool. But... Uh, it's like every time, you know, you'd I'd ac- accidentally stumble on it, I'd be kind of like, this looks too sexy for me. Or like the Red Shoe Diaries would be on. And I'd be like, oh, sure. what are they doing now? <laughs> Just change this. Like, I, I didn't want to watch anything like that. I don't know. I guess because I had very, like, my, my parents weren't strict about that stuff. So I had to, <laughs> I had to discipline myself, myself <laughs> I guess. But like, 
I remember that later, like when I was renting movies, I would go to Blockbuster or Rogers and like go pick out some movies, bring them home. And one night I came home with Caligula. I was maybe like 14 or 15 because okay. I liked Roman stuff. Yep. And uh, my mom's like, um, <laughs> like, do you know about this Caligula movie? I'm like, Malcolm McDowell's in it. Like, <laughs> and uh, Helen Mirren, you like Helen Mirren? Or, I think she was in it or something. I was like, it's about Emperor Caligula. He was nuts. Like, sure. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah. It's nuts in a very particular way. In a way that, d- do you want to see it acted yeah. out? I'm like, they were all crazy. Nero, Caligula, who knows? Same. <laughs> same, same. Yeah. And uh, she was like, well, if if you want to watch it, that's fine. Just, it's it's a bit intense. And then she left the room and I never watched it. Like, because <laughs> I was just like, oh, maybe, maybe I don't want to watch it. Reminds me. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I was also, I've, all my life I was obsessed with musicals and I watched musicals forever and found kind of in my late high school days like a video rental place. It was way off, like not in my neck of the woods at all, but accessible that had like a really substantial musicals section, mm. which like, you know, like your, your blockbuster doesn't. It'll have like, you know, Oklahoma and Mary Poppins and not much else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this one had like a bunch of stuff and a lot of those um, kind of, what do you call them? Um, great performances, a PBS recordings of Broadway shows and stuff like that. And then I found one that was called Oh Calcutta. Oh yeah, which I've is heard marketed. Of that. The subtitle is the world's longest running erotic stage musical. Huh. <laughs> and. So obviously I get it and I watch it and it's so weird. It's like... Because it's fairly mainstream, right? Yeah, but fairly. It doesn't get revived very often, but it's like known. It was on Broadway. Right. Um, And I think it did get a Broadway revival in the 90s or something like that. It's from the 70s originally. I for sure like come across the music and things like yeah. that. But it's so, it's so weird because it's like partly sketch comedy. It's not like a musical. It's, it's okay. a review... And it's like sketch meets musical meets like, for some reason, like really sad drama. And it's like all of those things. It's not a satisfying musical, except I guess if it's, you know, 1976 and the sexual revolution and you're like, you I was going to say, is it kind of like Godspell hair? Like, kind that, of. That kind it's of sounds like, like the drama, the way those are dramatized. Yeah, know? but uh, it's if it was like written by a bunch of Second City people. All right. That period was such a funny period for theater. Like, I love it, I guess. It was in the 70s? Yeah, I don't remember exactly when. It sounds a bit... Well, actually, I mean, my favorite... I, I think I liked the late 60s, early 70s, maybe a bit better. Um, What's Sam Shepard? Oh, well, shoot. Um, 1969. Oh, you're kidding me. My. That's like the year. That's the year. No, that is the year. I, was that... Um, I know that... Well, one of my favorite shows is Dionysus in 69, which I think was actually in 60... Maybe 70 it came out, but it was about... Like, it referenced the election in 69, and... Um, it, it, there wouldn't have been an election in 69. Would there not have been? They do it in uh, even, 60, even number years. So it would have been 68 or 70? Yeah. It was either... Bef- 68 would have been a presidential election, and then 70 would have been a midterm. 
I think 69 might have been when um, Nixon resigned, something like that. Yeah, it was absolutely about Nixon. Yeah. Not like about, but like... Referenced it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe about. It's hard hard to sort of say what that play's about. It's an adaptation of the Bacchae that I wrote a lot about in, in grad school, and I loved it. Um, but it had a ton of nudity and orgy scenes, and um, Brian De Palma shot a really interesting version of it. But right, that rings a bell. Yeah, I liked that one. I think Marat Saad was around then. That's a good one. Theater. Yeah. What's your favorite play? What's my favorite? Oh, God. I mean... Uh, is I'm it not... Old Calcutta? No. <laughs> no, I don't think Old Calcutta is very strong. Um, <laughs> I, I don't see that much theater. Uh, most, of my, most of my shit, as we were talking last week is um musicals for sure i mean we can count musicals okay. theatrical production let's say well um or like let's do top musical top play i mean this is this is such a stupid obvious but like hamlet is really fucking good i i think hamlet is a oh great what play. a plebe he likes hamlet no i mean this is it's so basic but hamlet is really good yeah hamlet's um, good there's also okay now this is uh, an actual obscure one um that when I was a kid, we went to uh, Australia for a, a, a winter there, summer here, and we saw a play that was really phenomenal called Chilling and Killing My Annabelle Lee, which was based on, or at least inspired by, the Edgar Allan Poe poem of the same name. That is really remarkable. And then, as a when I was in college or something, and and way into theater, I went and I actually like online bought the script of it, and it's really really good. Um, politically again um it's not great representation wise it's only got well it's got one female actor who plays about half a dozen female characters Mm. and uh and one of the one of the fucking themes of the play is like ah women are uh uh women are all the same they're just they're just for us to use and it's not great but it's a very interesting deconstructed mystery and uh yeah i remember really liking it and then obviously can't produce it but whatever hmm interesting so that stands out so that's a play that's a play your favorite musical musicals um as 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 i again we were talking about this off mic last week that like as um, a, a straight white cis artist dude, um, all of the musicals that speak to me and that that I look at and cry and like, oh, it me, it me. Those are all the musicals that I think shouldn't be done anymore. So I really love Man of La Mancha. It's fucking great, but should never be done again. Uh, Company, um, um, Sunday in the Park with George. Kiss Me Kate. I like Kiss Me Kate a lot. And that one... Again, other Classics. than other than oh yeah oh yeah I'm not into the new shit, but I mean also like how do I put it? it, it it's almost like the the composers you like or the you know like what do we have there? We have Sondheim, we have Cole Porter, we have um uh, Mitch Lee was Man of La Mancha. Yeah, that's classic classic like old school musicals. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. I mean um, Sondheim being the most like most he, modern you know, among he's, those. He's yeah. pretty. He's pretty. 
what's the word? Forward thinking. Like, whatever. Well, you, I mean, get, you, you get what you, I mean. You, you compare him to Bach also. So he's both, like, classically, classical and um, and kind of non-literal or non-melodic in a more modern way. Yeah, I I guess I don't mean like the style of music so much as like yeah he's a he's a staple like like one of the original old school staples you know it's not like you know we're getting into Jason Robert Brown or yeah, even oh, like even like, like some modern I, I I don't know I like Jason Robert Brown too although he's got his own issues I don't really care for you don't like musicals him? well I don't love the last five years um. I haven't heard a bunch. I, I think there's some beautiful music in Parade. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen the show, so I can't really make a statement about that, except that I think the music is lovely. But yeah, isn't it that he always writes about like infidelity and divorce, and uh, apart from Parade, because he yeah, I mean, about that's what, all that or whatever. The last five years was his kind of fictionalization of his own divorce, right? Um, so it's pretty rough. Yeah, you you haven't done your favorite. Plays and musicals. Mm. Play is hard because um, Amadeus is like maybe my all-time favorite film. Um, I've seen it live once, and obviously it wasn't like the original production because I wasn't alive. I would have killed to have seen um, like Simon Callow or uh, Ian McKellen played Salieri in a production. I don't know if that was the original. Tim Curry played Mozart with huh. Ian McKellen's Salieri, I believe. And that would have been like that would have been dope. Oh, if, if I could quantum leap to a year, <laughs> that would be what, when and where I There's would go. Also, a Tim Minchin production where Tim Minchin played Mozart. That Interesting. Would have been, that would have been dope. Yeah, yeah. Um. So while the film, yeah. So I don't know if I'd count that as my favorite play, even though the film was, you know, based yeah. on the play. Um. That doesn't count. All right. Dionysus in 69. Don't know if it's my favorite. But I do like the Bacchae as a play. I like Greek tragedy. Titus Andronicus is good. Um, Titus is not for me. No? No. No, I think we have... We do have... We've <laughs> different tastes in general, and maybe our Shakespearean taste summarizes it really well. Yeah, maybe. Because you like his most lofty, like like cerebral play, I would say. Yeah. Like ethical dilemmas in Hamlet. Um, well, yeah, I, I like his lighter shit too, but um, I like I like his mainstream stuff. Yeah, Titus, I love because it's so messy. Yeah, like, that's the thing. I love that it's it's ridiculous. It doesn't know what it is. There's it's... horrible, horrible, dark things, and then hilarious, ridiculous things. I think Saturninus is an amazing quote unquote villain because he's not really the villain, but like he's. Oh, such a good character. I love, I love it. Yeah, I like Titus and like even Macbeth for me. They're just kind of. I love Macbeth's my other favorite. Yeah, exactly. That's why do we even work together? <laughs> <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> but I mean, like they're just they're they're kind of torture porn. They're just ugly for the sake of being ugly and not much else. See, I don't. I guess I don't think so because. I I specifically dislike things that are ugly for the sake of ugly. But maybe with Shakespeare, that rule kind of goes away a little bit. Just, I don't know. Maybe I'm not the biggest Shakespeare fan, to be honest. Well, like, neither am I. I'm... Yeah. I think The Elephant Man is a great play. I've never read it or um, seen it. 
man i saw a production of it i must have been yeah like a teenager again and i cried so loud at intermission it was so beautiful um i don't know if that's my favorite play though isn't it sad when you think like what plays have i been in but then you're like i don't think i've been in my favorite play yeah i'm trying to think um i've been in some plays that i really liked i've been in um rosencrantz and guildenstern are dead mm-hmm. which is a fucking great play i did mm-hmm. not play any of the i was one of the silent roles which is fine um one that meant a lot to me although i'm not it, you always kind of think back and be like is this a good play or is it just quaint but uh, a little thing called trelawney of the wells don't know it is a um kind of 19th century comedy of manners that takes place in and around a, a theater troupe uh and so it, it has everything that i like which is um me being a sad writer um being in love with someone unrequited uh and old-timey costumes yeah when's grace gonna love you <laughs> when is grace gonna love me <laughs> So yeah, that, that was probably in terms of... And it was also the last play that we did in my final year of theater mm. school. So that's always like a special uh, thing. And I got to play the part I wanted and blah, blah, blah. So like in terms of my like experience doing a play, that's probably my favorite. I'm going to tell you about in my last year of theater school, I just think this is ridiculous. Um, I was in... Yeah, you you do two shows. So I was in Jane Eyre and then in um, The Winter's Tale. Mm-hmm. And I was Mrs. Fairfax, the housekeeper. Yes, uh, old uh, or longtime listeners to this show will recognize this from uh, oh, episode right. three. Yeah, where there's a Star-crossed. mistake about Jane Eyre in it. Um, yeah, I was old Mrs. Fairfax in Jane Eyre. And then in The Winter's Tale, I was uh, Paulina. Mm-hmm. Now... In a scene in Jane Eyre, I had to guide someone through the misty moors or whatever with a lantern and a cloak. Like, I'm wearing a cloak, I'm carrying a lantern. And then I bring them inside and uh, I draw the curtain to where a guy is, like, sitting to show that he's right here. Mm -hmm. And I, like, draw the curtain of the city or something. Okay. Fast forward several months, I'm cast in a completely different show, completely different director, same theater, so I guess they like doing similar techniques. And uh, I had to carry a lantern while wearing a cloak to go to a dungeon. And then later, I had to draw a curtain to reveal a statue. So the things I learned in theater school in fourth year are how to act while holding a lantern up, because that was very specific. They were like, no, no, you have to hold it up because you can't see, but also close to your face because it's dark. So yeah. we have to see your face and look around like it's dark. And is that a rat that ran by? Ooh, like creepy. And then also draw the curtain, but it's a gauzy curtain. So don't go too hard because you'll rip the curtain. So those are my major skills. Yeah. This is actually, uh, Grace and I were having a conversation about how shitty theater school is. I hate it. <laughs> it's it's such a bad idea. It legitimately is. And I, I think you might have come up. It might, you or somebody of your type, um, who, who like... we know. But that kind of like, like, you, for, well, for one thing, you're a low-voiced woman. Uh, and so uh, 
you tend to have a lot of stature on stage. Are you? Were you one of those people? I don't know these Mrs. Fairfax sounds. Were you one of those people who's like, I'm 19 and I'm playing a 60 year old woman in every show? Yeah, absolutely. Was that you? That's a lesson that I learned uh, working with. Um, this is right before university. I was in a production of um, Cymbeline, mm. and uh, I went up to the early early on in the process just as i was starting to develop my character i went up to the director and i was like i had a bunch of questions like um doing all these like various kind of fundamental questions and one of the one was like how old is this character and she goes how old are you and i say i'm 19 she goes that sounds good and i was like oh shit mind blown i don't know for one thing there's always more girls than guys yep so theater school loves to be like well we have to pick we have to find these plays that have this many women and that really limits their selection, which drives me bonkers because I'm like, just pick a play and cast it with the people you have. Pick a Shakespeare and cross, like, like just, yeah. like, I'll play Hamlet. Like, yes, you, please. You know, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then I got out into the real world. And, you know, the roles that I got when I was, you know, let's say between the ages of 21 and 27, like, were the romantic leads and I was shocked I was mm-hmm. shocked that anybody wanted to put me there you know like like imagine someone casting a 25 year old as a 25 year old yeah it, it was mind-blowing and like the question was never about the talent that's the unfortunate mm-hmm. thing you know what I mean it was really just about type which is such a film thing when you get out into the real world you're like type is much more of a I don't know I don't know. I, I, no, I'm, I'm curious. Where, what type is much more of a what? Like film is more into, I think, your branding. Your right? individuality. Yeah, in but like look. Yeah. Too. Whereas I find in theater, I think the theater world is a lot more forgiving of that sort of thing than I thought it would be given my training. Yes. Except that it is such a small club. So it's it's still hard to get parts, but I don't feel like it's because I don't look like her, you know, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, you always feel like that, but like, I don't know. Um, one of my favorite things, I wonder if this is what I had, what I was connecting or what I was thinking of with the film and uh, stage thing. Something I studied a lot in grad school was... um. The notion of like I was fascinated by what is good acting. Like mm-hmm. what can can we all agree that something is good acting and, and something is bad? Of course we cannot. Um just look at last week's episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um but they were saying I read an essay that was talking about how on stage you get to experience the aura of an actor. Mm-hmm. You're in the same same space. I'm sure that like because I went to grad school with Grace or whatever, there is this like one essay or one scholar Walter Benjamin who like everybody referenced all the time so if I'm saying anything you've you know let me know well the listener doesn't know remember I'm them? sure you've all studied Walter Benjamin um anyway uh, Plus, Grace and I don't really talk much about theory right not a ton okay well yeah he said when you're in the same space as an actor you get to experience their aura and that's something that's not replicable on film and I totally agree there's something, you know, when you are in the same present moment as an actor in a theater space that you get to experience that cannot be translated to film. But what we have on film instead, he says, is fetishization. That's why all of a sudden we think like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with 
um, I don't know, Johnny Depp. Like, oh, like he's one of my favorite people. I want to know more about him. That's the main thing. Like even Meryl Streep, who everyone's like, she transforms herself. I'm like, does she really? You know? Like, or is she always kind of Meryl Streepy? and sometimes, like... Yeah, I mean, Like, even her Margaret Thatcher was pretty Meryl Streep. Yeah, that's the thing. You can transform some specific... Like, accent is the easiest thing. And, like, everyone was always really impressed with her and Sophie's Choice because she learned... And, like, not that this isn't impressive, but she learned to speak German with a Polish accent or something like that. Yeah, and it's yeah. like that's like that that is an attention to detail that is commendable, but that doesn't change what you're doing. It is yeah. it is an accident <laughs> of your performance and not what the performance is. Well, exactly. And and we say that about Meryl Streep and we equally celebrate like Jack Nicholson who's always Jack Nicholson no matter what. You yeah. know? And we don't think he's a bad actor because he's not. He's a very charismatic, interesting actor. He's still performing. He's just doing a very different thing. Um, not to say that, like, I'm sure he does do research, like, but in, in his own way. And, you know, like, I had someone tell me once, because I was really into, like, I've got to transform myself. I've got to yeah, write, we all go through that. write the biography of my character. What's her favorite color? What animal would she be? Like, all those mm-hmm. stupid things. And, like, someone just said to me, like, you're interesting, too. Yeah. You know? Like, and that blew my mind that me on stage could be as interesting as, like, Blanche Dubois yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, you know? And that, I think it's absolutely true. That's, like, there's something I've been toying with a lot lately of, about, about again, kind of paring down your performance and not having to, not, not having to work so hard, really, of... Um, and in this case, you're talking about characterization and I'm talking about kind of uh, quote unquote method of like, you know, um, there's, if, if you're in a play and you have to say the line, I love you to your co-actor and, you know, there's one approach to that. We'd be like, no, I have to feel it. Like in that moment when I say I love you, if, if I don't actually feel the love, then, then I'm lying and that's bad acting. And I was, and I'm, I'm, I suddenly year or two ago was like, what if I just say it? Like, what if it's not that I have to feel the thing before I say it? What if I just say it? And then we both like, like I'm like Kristen and Leet are now in a room where I have looked in Kristen's eyes and said, I love you. Whether or not that is a thing that I felt at the time, that we do share, we share the reality that that is a thing that I just said to you. And that isn't, I don't have to act that because I said a thing, like my character, like Pete said something to Beverly and Leet said something to Kristen and all four of us are meeting in that same moment in a true reality. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I totally agree. There's um, a person who is... Uh, Name names! <laughs> well, no, no. Richard Schechner? Was it Richard Schechner? Anyway. Uh, directed Dionysus in 69. Wrote a lot of theory on performance. Um, anyway, he said something uh, that I found very profound, which was, like, in the state of performance, um, I'm not me... I'm not not me. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not, or no, sorry. I'm not me. I'm not not me. But I'm not not me. I know the two things are yeah, the same. Yeah, you know, I gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not me. I'm not someone else. I'm not not me, and I'm not not me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I I think that's kind of the shared reality is kind of what you're yeah what the you're way, talking that about. Was, uh, I overheard this is when I was in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, and oh, that was a, a really wonderful performance production as well because uh, it was at Hart House, and the director actually did not cast leading men in the two leading roles. He was like, cause normally like, you know, you do Rosenbaum and Guildenstern, you get, you know, uh, Tim Roth and Gary Oldman, or you yeah. get, um, Patrick Stewart and, um, Ian McKellen, although that, that's waiting for Godot, but you know sure, what I mean? Sure. Like yeah. the point is you, you, you know, it's, there are two big parts, um, that are very famous. So you cast leading men in those parts. And he was like, no, I'm going to cast, two dudes who have been character actors for their entire careers. Like, yeah, they were people who had been, um, you know, uh, spear carriers the last season at Hart House. And he's like, I'm going to give them these parts because that's who they are. They are supporting characters in the play of Hamlet. And anyway, that, oh, that's good. It was a really good uh, dramaturgical choice. But then I heard, yeah, again, one of them, uh, Andrew Knowlton, I'll shout out his name because he's a very wise and very smart actor. Um, and he was describing it as, again, like if Kristen and Leet and Beverly and Pete um, are, I just realized that I picked a name that rhymes with my name, but um, uh, like what, what is interesting is that all four of us are having a conversation together. Kristen is talking to Leet, Beverly is talking to Pete. Pete is talking to Kristen. Kristen is talking to Leet. Kristen is talking to Beverly. Like all of these things are actual dynamics, dynamics that exist in that moment. And to pretend that any one of those strings isn't there is is cutting off um, a, a, a facet of the performance. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we all know the horrible thing of like when you have to cry or be really emotional and sometimes it's not going to come like mm -hmm. and, and forcing it. And like you said, by thinking like, I really need to feel it. Like, mm -hmm. of course, that doesn't work. But um, the last play I did. Which is... Yep. Punk rock. <laughs> I'm wearing Simon the T-shirt. Um, but it's like this is a group of people I've known for several years, some of them for like 10 years, you know, or not that long. Some of them for a very long time, though. Um, and my character everybody was really cruel towards like you're like horribly bullied and you know said terrible things to and like there's yeah some really bad stuff but there's one part in particular where um my friend and fellow actor had to spit in my face oh god um spoilies <laughs> for this play well um yeah and like that was such a crazy... Mo there, there are more horrible things than that that happen in this play to me and to other characters. But, like, for me, that moment was, like, the moment, even though it wasn't the climax of the play. Because even, like, when we, we had one of the... Like, we had a really great fight person come in and um, we came to that moment and the director's like, so what do we do for that scene? He's like, he's just got to spit in her face. Like, yeah. there's no run around. Yeah. Like, there's not a secret for that. And if you mime it, like, it's an intimate space. People will know if it didn't actually happen. Um, 
And that was like, it's it's almost like I got to relax at that point because it was the emotionally the easiest part to like it made me cry every night because that's a horrible thing to have. Let alone like you're in a room full of your friends and they're all being really shitty to you. Yeah, and this cemented that, and it was you know one of. my, I don't want to be like my favorite performances of me, but like one no, of my most cher- cherished performances that I could pull out because everybody else was doing stuff to, it's not even like it was me, mm-hmm. you know? It was like, it, it's him doing the work and I'm... You're kind of released of it. Exactly. Like I, I get I get to just feel how horrible that is mm-hmm. and then there's the performance you yeah. know i mean there was um uh when we were working on pickled heart um oh yeah you guys were so good oh thank you um but i mean megan obviously we actually met doing a jrb uh show several years before that we did um songs for a new world um mm. and so i'd known her for a few years we weren't super duper close um that's not part of the story i'm just no, comparing it's, it's, it to your story but um Talking of relationships and acting. Yeah, but I mean, I'm talking about a specific moment, which was um, maybe just for the listeners. If this part, if we're keeping all all of this long discussion about everything, um, for the listeners, Pickled Heart is a show that um, I would say the show that you and I kind of became friends yeah, over. Absolutely. Um, even though we knew each other before that. Slightly. Um, yeah. Uh, I wrote the music for it, and Leet performed it with. Uh, a couple other with our, of our mutual friend yeah megan pool and tess brow mm-hmm. uh written uh by jesse Segan, jessica mm-hmm. Segan. yep um which she actually was just talking to her a couple days ago and she's doing it oh, she's working really? on the two-act version of it oh great yeah um, i saw her uh post about playwriting yeah so i thought anyway um the point is um yeah megan and i were friends and there was this part in the show where um, it was almost like a weird um, Orpheus in the Underworld thing where mm-hmm. she was behind me singing and I had to not turn around and look at her. And, and like, I cried for sure. And again, I think not, not as a, like, good job, good acting, but it's so hard to, like, just listen to somebody and stare straight ahead and have it be someone you love and somebody that you're... Um, who's singing a sad song regardless of like I don't know whether Megan is a method actor I don't know whether she was herself physically sad while she was singing it but to sit there with her singing in my ear like like Lee was having an emotional reaction to that and um, it doesn't fucking matter whether the the character of Sean was having that reaction Lee was and um if I'd been trying too hard to react the way that Sean would react, then I wouldn't have been acting, you know? Exactly. You just have to, in, in a way, I think that's what they mean, or that's how I interpret the phrase acting is reacting or that it's all sure. about listening. Like, honestly, I think if you're just paying attention to the people around you, you should feel something. The yeah. audience is. Yeah. I guess then you could say, well, isn't that what the other person's doing? And then shouldn't we all just yes. do nothing? Yes. But yeah, that's the correct answer. Exactly. Everybody should just, just, I don't know. So, you know what? My favorite performance that I've seen on stage, and this is probably the reason why I said The Elephant Man might be my favorite mm-hmm. play, which it isn't. It's just that I had this moment in the theater where um, Brent Carver was playing The Elephant Man. Sure. He's, you know, as 
probably most most of you know if you've seen the play he's not wearing the makeup like you you see John Merrick as just the actor mm-hmm. which is very important because I don't know it, it, yeah you 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 get to see them experiencing these things as opposed to wearing a, you know a mask or something like that um and there's the scene where yeah at the end of act 1 right before intermission the actress who he's in love with goes up to him and uh, extends her hand and he offers his good hand to shake her hand um and she rejects it and takes his bad hand and picks it up and kisses it and then exits with another character and he was just left on stage staring at his hand and he just like quietly started crying Mm -hmm. for like i don't know it had to it was probably only like two minutes but it felt like 10 minutes of just watching this poor man you know Mm -hmm. like like go through that and it was the most like a heart-wrenching thing I've ever seen and I don't know it was so so subtle you know and so sweet and then I think about (laughs) theater training where you're like I don't know everybody's like be bigger do more I'm like I don't know I don't I don't think that's acting but what do I know yeah do you think Bakula ever had to deal with this (laughs) yeah maybe we should talk about uh bringing it to quantum leap I don't know. I don't know. Like, Bakula is such a weird guy. It's, uh, this was a time in TV, though, where so much was, like, over the top, I guess. It was very theatrical. I mean, he was a Broadway actor. Yeah. I think he's probably better than Quantum Leap. I wonder if it's partly style. Again, we're not watching one of the most, like, difficult episodes today so maybe i don't know i can't speak to the acting in this episode um i don't know i don't know how to put it you can definitely tell that al's got a bit of now that i know that dean stockwell was like a child actor in the 40s or Mm -hmm. 50s like in old old movies i can definitely see a lot more theatricality with him and a lot like more like Eh, see, it's go to blue. Like yeah. he's a bit more. He's like, this is what my character would sound like. Eh, this is acting, you know. <laughs> like he's in yeah. a, he's constantly in a production of Guys and Dolls. Yeah, and you can definitely like he, he's like gone through his script and like underlined the word that, that he's going to emphasize and stuff like that. Yes, 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 yes. Bakula, I think, is trying to access more. And to be but fair, there's, like he's, I don't know, I, I find there's n- always a level of artifice. Like he's yeah. always just like a little bit stilted. Yeah, it's always like, what am I going to do, Al? Like, I can't, I can't describe yeah. it. There's just something that's always like, this doesn't sound like the way people talk. Al, in a way, he's got, even if it's over the top, he's just a bit more of a natural with it. But yeah. that being said, um, I'd be interested in watching his CSI, Bacula's CSI. NCIS? Oh, NCIS. Is it? I don't uh, remember. It probably is, yeah. Um, or... I, I haven't even gone back and watched. I do love Star Trek, but I haven't watched um, Enterprise. No, me neither. Um, so I'd be interested to see how he progressed because I I do think I think there's something there. I think there's something there. I can't I can't describe it. Maybe it's maybe it's the Bacula fans who <laughs> engage with us on social media, and I don't want to I don't want to accept them. I think he's he's better at some things than others, aren't we all? Yep. 
Who am I to say? Yeah. TV star. Yeah, I mean, he's... And also, like, again, it was, it was, it was the 80s, and it was just off of Broadway. So I'm sure yeah. that in the last 30 years, like, he's probably... And again, I'm trying to remember, in... The only other show that I've seen him in really is Boston Legal. He had a five or six episode arc on Boston Legal. Mm. And, um... And that's like that's a whole other kind of artifice because they're all high-powered, very expensive lawyers. So, like in that world, he kind of fit. Yeah. Because he's you know playing somebody who has specific objectives, and like we we all should be playing people with specific objectives. But like if you're if you're if you are always trying to manipulate people, then there is that level of it's kind of like um. Uh, Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. Grace yeah. and I were having an argument the other day about whether he's a good actor or not. Um, and like both of us think he's a good actor, but I was thinking he's like one of the best in the show, and she thinks he's kind of average. Oh, interesting. And I was, and for me, it was like because he is a person who is always one hundred percent in control of his mannerisms, what he's thinking, what he's doing, what he's letting on, what he's showing the world. And and to me, like he's very good at doing that. But Grace can only see the artifice there. And I'm like, no, that's part of it. But anyway, that's interesting for me. It's Varys. Varys is mm. my guy on Game of Thrones. But I think I just relate to him the most. He's a little more natural than um, Littlefinger. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't envy him his job on Quantum Leap in a way. When you're the center, and everything's moving around you. In a way, everything else is changing. Like, it's a bit of a tough, tough gig. Like, I think about, in we're talking about in theater school, getting typecast or whatever. Like, I, I think in a way, some of the hardest parts, but also not the most interesting parts, are like, like uh, David Copperfield they did one year, and the guy who played David Copperfield, or Nicholas Nickleby, the guy who played Nicholas Nickleby, or in our year Jane Eyre. Like, those characters, I think, are hard... They're leads, but they're such a blank slate and everything is colorful around them. And they themselves are not, like, they're not described. Jane Eyre is described as, like, a plain, I mean, physically plain, but also she's she's just not a terribly interesting person. The interesting person is, like, the mysterious Mr. Rochester, the yeah. funny, charming housekeeper the mischievous child or anything Dickens, David Copperfield, yeah. Nicholas Nickleby, like, yeah. Oliver Twist. If you're the little boy playing Oliver, you just have to go around and sing and, well, assuming it's the musical, maybe not. <laughs> or, or the or a play version or whatever. Like, you react to everything and it's these, it's more fun to be yeah. the schoolmaster. You well, know I mean, what I mean? Because, I mean, those are our point or of Fagan view characters, right? Those are our point of view characters. So they're the ones we're supposed to be able to put ourselves there are in their position entrance. and be like, oh my God, if that happened to me, I'd be really freaked out. But it's like, but you, you're you're just a receptacle for um, trauma, really, or, or yeah. for shit to happen and and to be uh, kind of the the you're a window you're a window to more interesting things yeah like i think about you know um like the most recent dickens play i would have seen would have been great expectations i don't even remember who played pip but i can remember everything about miss havisham mm -hmm. you know um so it's sort of an interesting that's how i feel about quantum leap in a way um 
I think he's the blank slate you know, who everything happens to. But then again, he's also so fucking weird. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, like, I mean, his views on sex are not views that anyone, and like, he's like, oh, oh, you, you mean I'm good at everything? Like, he's such a weird, um, he's not your, He's um, written weird. He's not your, your, uh, audience surrogate because the audience doesn't have eight PhDs. The audience has never played at Carnegie Hall. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He's like this, like, ubermensch of a guy. He's like, yeah, the, he's <laughs> like, like the original Mary Sue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I never got to my favorite musical. I'll go for it. Cats. Cats. <laughs> Gotta have my rum tum tugs. No. Rum-tum-tugs. Because <laughs> rum-tum-tugger is just one syllable too long. <laughs> <laughs> no, um... You know what? I'm tempted. Like, Hades Town was amazing. And it, like, for a while, I, I had my list of three musicals that hover at my top. Uh-huh. Um, and they, for a long time, were um, nine. Ugh. You don't like nine? I don't know nine. It just bugs me. The movie's terrible, but the, the actual musical's really good. Okay. I think. I saw it with Antonio Banderas. Oh. And... Cheetah Rivera, other oh. other big actors. It was I like great. Cheetah Rivera. Yeah, it was it was it was great. Um. Anyway, uh, I think for a while it was Urine Town, but that quickly yeah, left. It's wrong. It was fun. At the, yeah, that's not right. Um, Phantom for sure is up there. Phantom sure. of the Opera. It's it's just beautiful, you know. Um, and like obviously I love Les Mis and Jesus Christ Superstar. So I think those have hovered around the three. Cabaret always stays in my top three. And you know what? I was thinking about it. Cabaret, I think, because it's also, if, if you cut out Perfectly Marvelous, which I feel like you should, because I hate that song, but I feel like every other song, uh, no, that's not true. Most of the songs are diegetic. Pineapple or, uh, you know, the, the ones between Sh- uh, Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz, those are yeah. extra diegetic, but... um. Most of them are diegetic, and I just think it's a fantastic. I think I think it's a great play and musical. So that that still is always in my top three. I think it's yeah. I love cabaret. Um, Hades Town is up there now in my top three, though. I have to say. You said it's it's a retelling of Orpheus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's Orpheus and Eurydice, but they're sort of paired with. Hades and Persephone, who are part of the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, but you you get more about Persephone mm-hmm. and Hades in it than you normally would in a story about Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, and they really were. For me, it was all about Hades and Persephone. They were amazing. Talk about weird voices on stage, too. Like, he had such a... Hades had this crazy bass voice that still does. He's doing it right now as we speak. But, like this amazing Leonard Cohen-esque deep voice and they wrote all his music you know to to suit that it seems and uh, Persephone has this great raspy jazzy voice and just voices you don't hear on on stage that much Orpheus has like a high sort of like what would you call it like nouveau pop kind of I I can't describe it like this rockish sound Um, and 
I like to think about, you know, um, specifically with Hades and Persephone and the actors playing them. I'm like, I can't imagine them having had the opportunity to get to play these kinds of roles before just because of their uniqueness, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Phantom, Cabaret, Hades Town. Those are all good. Yeah, we're all very different. We're very different people. We are very different people. I'm, yeah. I think with my, <laughs> I think with my heart and you think with your brain. I, I definitely. <laughs> like no. No, I, I do. I approach most things as intellectual problems. Uh, no, that sounded shitty when no, I, it's, the way I said it, but. No, it's, it's, it's not inaccurate though. No, but I know. Like, Daniel and I have this discussion a lot sometimes with movies or whatever because um, I can never describe what it is I like about something because mm -hmm. I'm just going off of, like, gut reaction and, and I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'll think about it. Should we wrap it up? Sure. Um, train time. Train time. Train time. There it goes. Do you have anything you want to plug for the 0, 0.0 people who are still listening? <laughs> um, I have a podcast called On a Dark Cold Night. It's a bedtime ghost story podcast. Um, I have another podcast called The Pitch Off Project. Um, but I'm going to repeatedly plug um, my friend show that's going up in London, Ontario at the end of May, beginning of June. And then two other cities later on in the summer. Awesome. Now, what do you think is going to happen next week on Quantum Leap? I mean, I haven't seen the teaser. I'm going to say it's going to be a light one <laughs> to counter the bummer of the episode that we didn't watch. Um, do you know the title? It's called So Help Me God. And the synopsis is, as a Southern lawyer in 1957, Sam de defends a black housekeeper accused of killing her employer and lover. I mean, I guess I, I guess we know what the premise is, so I'm not gonna. Yeah, sorry, I just spoiled it. But <laughs> no, also... no, no, it's good, good to know, good to know. I guess my point is, we were talking about how he always leaps into the person, the marginalized person mm -hmm. himself, and we don't get to actually see or hear their voice, you know. So maybe I'm opt, I'm trying to be optimistic that that won't be the case here. We'll, we'll get to learn about this person by her telling Sam. Yep. about her experience and <laughs> and him learning something valuable yeah that's all that i want i'm not saying like don't well i mean i was gonna say i'm not saying don't have him as a protagonist although of course it would be great if the protagonist was a woman or a person of color yeah. or something but like yeah there you go but also how interesting would it be if it was a different actor every week Playing yeah. your main character. That would have been so dope. I agree with you. That would be fascinating. And an acting challenge for every person who walks onto that set to get to play Sam Beckett. As yeah. opposed to this weird thing of Scott Bakula playing Sam Beckett playing someone else. And even fucking with the Swiss cheese memory, Swiss cheese personality, you can cover up any like weird little uh, variations in the character as long as you've got like certain parameters as long as every every actor in hollywood see if you remount or not remount uh what's the word i'm looking for reboot reboot if you reboot quantum leap right now with this premise that every week sam is played by a different actor oh. then every actor in hollywood will be like studying that part and being like oh i know exactly how sam beckett s seems 
That would be fascinating. It would be fascinating. It would give work to so many great actors. It would, it would still give an in for like, you know, cis white male, the cis white male gaze. Like you, and, and you'd get to, you'd get to learn something. Yeah. Every episode you'd get to, you know, if that's your in. And then your Al would be like the one recurring actor who shows up every single week and that'd be great. Yeah. Oh. Leet. And Al could be a person of color, sure. Leet, you gotta pitch it. I kind of want to. Do it. Okay, I'll Let's call just... all of my Hollywood friends. Let's do this. Let's make it happen. So, uh, if you guys think that this is a great idea. Where can they write to us? Um. It's at, at. Oh. At. <laughs> at Kristen Leet on Twitter. K-R-I-S-T-E-N-L-E-E-T-E. Um, yeah, write to us. We have a Facebook page as well. Do we? Yeah, man. Oh, wow. I post on it every week. Oh, wow. And an Instagram. Is it good? It's pretty much like the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that good, huh? Well, <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, yeah. No, I bless you every day for doing that work that I don't want to do. Oh, listen. It's, yeah. A small lot, and I don't do it every day, so don't bless me every day. Just bless me on the days I do it. Okay, fair enough. Just text <laughs> me when you do it, and I'll send you one bless. Okay. All right. Well, tune in next week. Yeah, to find out whether we get our reboot uh, launched and produced, starring me as Al. Oh. No, person of color. Let's get. Uh, I want Michaela Cole as Al. Is Who's that the right that? name? Michaela Cole. If 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 that's the right name, she was the star of Chewing Gum. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd be good. Um, yeah, that's right. She would be so good as Al. So to find out whether this all happens in the next seven days, tune in next week to the next episode of Oh, oh boy, boy, It's, it's Kristen, Kristen and Leet and Michaela Cole. <laughs>